Hey everybody, <laughs> my guest on the podcast today is Andrew Lennon, and he is the pastor of a Christian church in Lynchburg, Virginia, and so we talk about a lot of Christian stuff, and if, you're, if you don't give a crap about Christian stuff, I get it, uh, but this could be a cool opportunity to hear a new perspective, so I hope you give it a listen. Andrew is a really good guy, and he's done a lot of really good things for a lot of good people, or for a lot of people. He's done a lot of good things for regular people. <laughs> uh, at the start of the podcast recording, my mic was really bad, and so it just starts with Andrew answering a question about if he was artistic his whole life, or if it was something that he learned as an adult. So, ah, oh, my friggin' beloveds, I love you guys so much. Thank you for listening. I friggin' love you. Here comes the podcast. Here we go. Yeah, um, so I, I think, like, from the youngest age, I, like, always just loved creating an art, and, um, I remember when I grew up in the Philippines, literally, my parents would get me, like, drawing books, um, like, old school drawing books where, step-by-step, like, teaches you how to, like, draw, like, animals, so, like, give you, like, a circle on the next line, and you draw two circles, and then somehow it turns to a horse, so I would, like, draw these things step-by-step, I remember, like, that's what I used to do, like, all the time, like, after school, my free time for hours, I would just, you know, practice from these, like, drawing books that my parents would get me, and so I remember, like, that kind of started it, and um, just throughout growing up, drawing was always a thing, it was never, like, you know, this intense, like, you know, thing, but I remember, like, I, like, had some art classes, and I did, like, art shows when I was a kid, but it was nothing, like, crazy, um, but it was just always kind of there in the background developing. Like, it was never at the forefront of, like, I'm going to be an artist or I, like, you know, art is something. Because mm-hmm. the, the way I grew up, nobody were artists. Like, nobody in my family were artists except for, like, uh-huh. one cousin. Like, everybody in my family were, um, like, in the medical field. And pretty much, like, growing up, like, especially in the Philippines, like, the whole thing is, like, financial stability. So you get a job that's going to secure financial security. So that's why everybody did, you know, something that required higher education. So, like, something in the medical field or engineering or teaching, like, that was, like, the thing. And so that was kind of, like, growing up, what was instilled to me. So, like, art was just always something that, like, I love to do, but it was never, like, at the forefront of, like, my life it was just like I always just did this in the background like it was just like fun mm-hmm. it was like kind of what made me come alive and as I developed you know I got to um like middle school and I got to high school I like like stumbled upon like graphic design and mm-hmm. um I ended up buying like this Wacom tablet which is essentially like a tablet that you plug into your laptop and it's like it has like a pen and so you your your mouse is now like activated through a pen so it allowed you to kind of draw on your laptop and so I remember I would just draw like, in high school with like cartoon characters and it was just like that weird kid and um eventually like it turned into like me like designing you know like shirts for like clubs in high school and that kind of started developing more kind of you know branding and like the design that you know you usually see for businesses and stuff like that. And so I ended up like illegally downloading Photoshop and just like 
like just discovering the program and just learning all about like design and I just like taught myself everything with just like spend hours looking at tutorials and um, just like learning the program and it's essentially just getting like fluent and like learning how to use Photoshop mm-hmm. um, and then from there I remember I got to college and like I just, I loved art and I loved like designing but like it was never it was never like discouraged but it was never like yeah like go for it <laughs> it was just like never discouraged people. never like encouraged by who like classmates like family. My family my family yeah it was it wasn't like you know no i think i do remember it was somewhat discouraged cuz part of me was like i would love to like you know do art in college um but there was this part of just like 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 that's a great thing maybe minor in it um yeah. But it's not really something that you can provide. And so from there, got to the high school, I mean, college. And um, since since high school, I wanted to do, like, physical therapy. Like, that's what I was pursuing. And then got to uh, college, was pursuing physical therapy. Ended up just, like, getting encountered by the Lord and just felt called to do ministry, which was never on my plate. And... Um, from there, I switched majors, and I was, and I was still kind of in this rut because I was like, "God, like, um, I'm gonna do ministry, um, but like, I need to provide for ministry." It was the same kind of mentality that was kind of instilled to me um, of like financial stability, and so I switched my majors to art education, and so I was like, "Okay, like, I'm gonna, nice. um, you know, do art, teach kids art, but as a way to provide money for ministry," uh-huh. and. I ended up going, you know, on this internship in Vegas and like changed my whole life. And during that time, God actually called me to missions. And um, it was during that period that I actually felt like I was like, I just like don't feel like I'm supposed to be in art education. And but I had no like backup plan. Like I didn't know anything else I would do. Like I knew I was going to do ministry. I, just, I never wanted to do a direct like pastoral, you know, leadership major. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was like, what do I do? And then immediately, like, I felt the Lord call me to, to missions. And, like, that's what it was, like, that's what, like, the end goal was. Like, it's to go, like, lay down my life for the nations. And in that place, I, um, like, the Lord kind of revealed to me, it's like, Andrew, like, why I was in art education was I was thinking I was going to provide for ministry. And he kind of really kind of rewired me. And I realized, like, I was trusting my own strength to provide for ministry. And the Lord is like, you're not going to provide for ministry. I'm going to provide for ministry. And so I pretty much went all in and I switched to interdisciplinary studies. And so it's global studies, global studies and psychology. Um, and so throughout this whole time, I, like in the background, I'm still designing. I'm still just like creating. Um, and then it wasn't until like probably almost a year from now um, today that I like decided to actually like put my work out <laughs> like I like I would have stuff like online and like at, like different uh-huh. websites but never like like nobody would know me and like oh you're like you create art and stuff and so mm-hmm. I like I remember I posted on Instagram like a year ago I was like all right this is my new year's resolution put more of my work out there or whatever uh-huh. and I just started posting more work and through that like, would randomly just get, like, people would find me on Instagram and, like, hey, can you design me, you know, a tattoo? Um, and then, hey, like, can you design, like, a photography logo? And it just kind of developed, and it started picking up. And through that, like, I started learning a lot more of, like, the business side of stuff and just, like, really creating. And um, from there, I remember 
I literally um, was like, like I love creating and like I love this stuff. But like I, it was just, it was so weird because I think like the way I grew up, and I think also Eastern culture, um, or actually you know Western culture, the mentality is you do one thing for the rest of your life. So it's like uh-huh. if you're a doctor, you're gonna be a doctor till the day you die. Um, whereas like for me, like just how I'm wired, I'm like, I don't know if you know what a polymath is, but it's someone like essentially like what a Renaissance man is. It's someone that has like several different attributes. Like it's not just like you, you know, you, you like writing. It's, it's like, there's so many things that like you're, you're good at that you enjoy. So for me, it was like, you know, creating, designing music, you know, ministry, like all this stuff. But it was like, I was never designed, like I'm doing one thing for the rest of my life. And, um, so that thing was like this wrestling period of like, okay, I know I'm going to do ministry. Like that's not a problem. Like, that's not a question, but I also really love like designing and I don't know what to do with it. And it's out of nowhere. Um, the Lord has really started breathing on like my design. And the whole time when I would design, I remember it like it was it was kind of the it was the moments where I felt like the most alive. And um, like St. Irenaeus, like he has that's a quote. when you know, that's when you know. Exactly. Yeah. And St. Irenaeus, he says a quote, you know, the glory of God is man fully alive. And um, it was this thing that was birthed in me where it's like, I'm creating and like, I mean, there's just something where it's like, I feel like I'm tapping into like how God has designed me. It's like, as I'm designing, I enter into this place of like, I like I'm like in communion with God. Like even as I'm designing, like I'm, I feel like I'm having, you know, what's it called? Like, like just like creating with Holy Spirit and like learning just really new concepts. And so a lot of you in my art, they're so layered, like, um, a lot of my like, if you even just see some of my designs, even though they're so minimal looking, there's so much like depth and layers into like yeah. their meanings. Um, and anyways, long story short, I ended up getting a job at Liberty for graphic design, and I've never taken a graphic design class ever. Like I <laughs> never went to school for it, nothing. And I'm getting a job at Liberty doing graphic design. And that period. When did like, you take that job? I took that job. Um, the beginning of this past summer and I actually just finished the job like a week ago so um, I was in it for like over six months Um, and I loved it I like thrived in it I like learned a lot of like technical stuff that I just didn't like know from teaching myself and through this period on Instagram and other stuff I just started putting my art more out there and it's kind of it's not huge but it, it like blew up and a lot of people like across the world and across the U.S. I've like found my art and have like hired me for like tattoos and shirts. Like there's a lot of like companies that have hired me for shirts, some branding stuff. Um, and yeah, dude, I'm getting the uh, the tattoo that you designed for me uh-huh. on the 30th on the 30th oh, of no December. Way. Yeah, dude, that's uh, soon. I'm excited. I know it is soon, and it should have been a like a couple months ago. Remember, it should have been mm-hmm. in October, but uh, I did a stupid thing. And the stupid thing that I, <laughs> the stupid thing that I did was when I was so I went I had a time off from school in October, and mm-hmm. I was getting the tattoo in Bangkok. But before I went to Bangkok, I was in Krabi, which is the which is southern Thailand near the beach, and I met mm-hmm. this girl in Krabi. And through meeting, you know, we had a nice romantic few days together, and then. Uh, the day right before I was going to leave, I decided to, and here's the stupid thing. 
I decided to intentionally miss my flight back to Bangkok to spend another day and a half with this girl. And then stayed this extra day and a half. Totally sucked. It was so not worth it. It was the way it was terrible. It was so. And so what I think was happening was this girl was kind of just she was I think she was playing me for for sure. And uh, (laughs) and then and then just and then when I was like, hey, I want to, <laughs> I think when I told her, I was like, hey, I want to miss my flight and spend a couple extra days with you. I didn't think she was expecting that, but she, she was in, in the moment, she was all for it. She was like, oh my gosh, yes, it would be so awesome, blah, 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 blah. But then she basically ghosted me uh, for no. the next, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know. And That's so it. I missed. I think that just so, brings a new meaning for your tattoo now. Is you missing oh, your flight? Oh, I think it does too. You can't yeah. separate. <laughs> nice. I like that. But it's because then it'll be a reminder for me not to be stupid. Right. Not do, to. Right. Do stupid things like that. Um, exactly. So, but now I'm actually getting it on the thirtieth, and I'm pumped. Exciting. Yeah. So cool. Uh, when when did you leave the Philippines? How old were you? So I was born in the Philippines, and um, it was weird. So I was born in the Philippines, was there probably for like a year, and then moved to America, was there for like three years, and then moved back to the Philippines, and was there for like four years, and then finally okay. moved to America um, okay. in 2006. So, because okay. um, my, my okay. parents were missionaries, so they were on furlough, and so they, that's why I kind of bounced back and forth. Oh. Now, when you were a kid in the Philippines, is, is art a big thing in, in public schools or private schools for kids um, in the Philippines? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. I think definitely more so than the U.S. It wasn't like, yeah. I, I mean, at least where I went to, it was like, you know, just a normal, you know, local, like I in the Philippines, their private school is like equivalent to like a public school here. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it wasn't like, like a horrible, it wasn't like, you know, a, like a fine art special you know, missionary school. It was just like a uh-huh. local school. Um, yeah. But definitely, like, they had art classes. And um, I think even where, like, in Dumaguete, where I grew up, um, even just locally, there's a lot of, like, artists. And there's a lot of art. Yeah. Um, it uh-huh. wasn't, like, a crazy colorful town. Uh, but there were, like, a lot of, like, people that really stepped into the craft. Like, I remember, like, my, my cousin, he was, like, the only artist in my family. And he's, like, a photographer and painter. Um and but you know there's like murals everywhere and there's it's like really people because it is a small town too um and so like you like you'll notice like there are the artists and there are people pursuing it uh not necessarily like you know this is like what they do for a living but it was very prominent there Mm -hmm. And and i remember growing up too like i um I don't even know what it was. I think I took like a like a private like art class. Like it was like a like a week like a weekend thing, and like there's like an art teacher. And I remember like it was like these couple of days where I, I just like learned how to paint, and then at the end they had like a little art show for all the like the kids to show their parents. And just like just my parents would would because they knew that I loved it, um, mm-hmm. and they're very supportive when I was a kid. Um, probably not knowing like you know, <laughs> much how from far it. you would go with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I remember like they would like push me and stuff like that. And so 
my parents were really good. Like they saw like the things that I enjoyed and they really like encouraged it. Um, so yeah. Uh, I noticed that here too in Thailand, how uh, arts and playing an instrument and singing <laughs> is a lot more pushed and a lot more common here uh, to the point exactly. where people, when people ask me, uh, like in the States, you would ask the question, hey, do you play any instruments? Here, people ask me, mm-hmm. which, which instrument do you play? And so they automatically assume that I play an instrument. And then sometimes when I'll tell people I don't play anything, they look at me like I am a weirdo. They look at me, they like get their they get their brains like glitch. You're like, like Fortnite? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like they like it's weird for them to hear. And then when they're like, Oh, but do you sing? And I'm like, No, I don't do that at all. Um and then I follow that up with the story how uh uh, you know, during uh, musical worship when people are singing songs, I think I may, I may have told you this. I've told this story a couple times, uh, but two separate times on with two different people who have no idea who are totally separate from each other uh, on two different occasions during musical worship while we were singing songs in church. People, those two people told me, they came up to me and they said, John, I love it how into this you are i love it how loudly you sing Hmm. but i cannot stand near you because your voice is so bad that it's distracting me from the rest of the experience (laughs) um and there were people who i was close with so it was it was funny uh but i think it's absolutely hysterical that two people who don't know each other said the same exact thing to me uh, about my singing voice. And so I have an absolutely terrible voice, can't play any instruments at all. And so pe- and people don't understand that here. And so totally, it, it makes sense how uh, in the Philippines too, it's, it's like that. Um, mm-hmm. Do you ever think that, or would you, be, would you be happy if international missions work brought you back to the Philippines? Oh yeah. Um, I remember with um, SB, my fiance, um, that was one thing, like, so I, I know, like, specifically, like, the Lord's coming to India for a period, and um, I also, like, the, the desire is to, you know, to go to different nations, too. Like, I don't see myself being in one place my entire life. Uh-huh. Um, but the Philippines is definitely, like, if I had, like, a second place I can go to. Um, after India, the Philippines is definitely a place, place I would like love to go nice. because you know growing up there, like it was, like I loved I loved growing up in the Philippines. Me and my brother have completely different <laughs> like uh. perspectives <laughs> of our childhood. Like he like hated it, but I like loved it um, because like how it's it just it's the, the culture there. It's so different. It's very you know collectivist and. Uh-huh. Um, you know, even just like compared to America, it's even the concept of time, it's different, you know, yeah. you can tell there, it's just like, you know, you tell someone, like, it, like, you don't even worry if someone's late. So it's like, almost mm-hmm. like this sense of worry is very even less, whereas in America, like we worry about everything. Yeah. But it's like how I grew up, it was just like, it, it felt so adventurous. And it felt, you know, um, like, I just did a lot of things and discovered things. And it was just like, it was the thing that I feel like, you know, like the childhood 
the child heart like desires and so like growing up um like even just looking back like I had such a good time like living there but even besides that like even visiting back to the Philippines a couple years ago just like Mm -hmm. the culture and seeing also just like the need um for the Lord there and there's you know there's still like unreached people groups in the Philippines um and so I definitely would love like to go back there and you know start a church or just do something um because like I mean like I'm half of (laughs) that nation yeah like me really just loves the culture and um that's that's the same exact way that I feel about Greece because I'm Mm. half Greek uh, and so it's just, it's, there's something in me that really wants to go back there and to live there for a, yeah. a period of time. Cause it's, that's, it's half of me. Yeah. Um, so what, uh, explain, explain what, a what an unreached people group is. Yeah. Um, so unreached people group, essentially, if you see the 1040 window, um, if you look at, oh, wait, I'm not- explain the 1040 window. Okay, 1040 window. So if you look at a map, um, 10 degrees and 40 degrees um, longitude, right? Longitude or latitude. But essentially, if you look like on a map, 10 degrees and 40 degrees, it's this the whole area. It's pretty much that whole strip is pretty much third world countries. Um, so like South America, Southeast Asia, um, Africa, it's all in this 1040 window. And... Um, Essentially, unreached people groups are people groups that have yet to um, hear the gospel or have yet to have a church planted in the area. Um, and so, you know, there, there's, there's countries that have heard the gospel, but even within countries, there are people groups that have still yet to hear the gospel. So, um, you know, in, in the Bible where, where it talks about, you know, go into all the world or it talks about, you know, nations like, um, preach the gospel to all the nations. The word nations means ethnos, um, and ethnos actually means people groups. And so it's not just, you know, go into every, you know, general country, but it's to go into all people groups. Um, because even, you know, in the Philippines, it's one country, but there's like over a hundred different dialects. And so there's still a hundred different languages in one country. Um, and so I even know like in India, there's, like there's Bibles translated in Hindi, right? That's the main language, but there's still other people groups in India that speak a different dialect that don't have a Bible translated in their language. Um, and so essentially unreached people groups are, are ethnos um, in, in, in different nations that have yet to hear the gospel. Now, did you hear about that, that missionary? I'm forgetting his name. Uh, but who he went to North Centralese Island um, to yes mm-hmm. so and then that the tribe they that was there they've known to be an extremely violent tribe and they've been known to kill really anybody who comes to their shores um, but that missionary he went to to do that because they were an unreached people group and so if people who haven't heard that story North Sentinel Island is an island that has been uncontacted by the outside world and there's a tribe of they say at a minimum 50 people but at max like 250 people living on this Mm. island and they've been uncontacted 
by the nat- the outside world for thousands of years. And right. uh, they live in, I forget the sea, but it's owned by, it's a country, the, the territory is, is owned by India. Um, and it's really close to cities. Um, it's not too far away. It's not a too too much of an isolated island. But these people somehow for the last thousands of years has been completely uncontacted. And there's this gentleman, I think his first name was Josh or Joshua Hart or something like that. And uh, mm-hmm. he went there to uh, tell the people about Jesus. And then the tribe killed him. Uh, so wait, so Andrew, what do you what do you think of that? What do you think of that move by that guy? Yeah, um, I mean, that's a very interesting topic because there's definitely both sides. Um, but I don't know, there, there's a lot that goes into it. I definitely do think like it is something that like, I think first off doesn't matter like what led up to it, but it is honorable because um, there's almost, you know, two sides of Christians where like, which is pretty insane, but there's like this side of Christians that are pretty much bashing what he did. And it's like, yeah. it was super unwise. Like, you know, um, like it was dumb. He just went and got killed. Like how much preparation did he do? Like, did he have a team? And, but it was essentially just saying like what he did was like dumb. Um, and then there's the other side. It was like, you know, what he did was the Lord. And so I think like, first off, it doesn't matter. Like, if like, you know, what he did was wiser and wise is the fact that he did it for the gospel. Like just even that in of itself, like that's something that needs to be honored. Um, I remember seeing Babylon, like it's like a Babylon B article, uh, which is pretty much like a Christian satirical website, but it was like people who have never shared their faith criticizes missionary who was uh, persecuted. Uh, <laughs> um, which is so true. You know what I mean? Like there is a lot that goes into, you know, reaching unreached people groups and, you know, who knows if what he did was like the best way or not, but still like primarily even even see revelation, you know, like the reward of the martyrs. Like it's, it's such a huge fact. Like he, he is willing to go for the sake of the gospel to mm-hmm. peoples that may have never had the chance to hear the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And um, from what I've heard too, like, he actually, you know, before he was killed, he, he like, he came bringing gifts and he's saying, you know, I, I've come in the name of Jesus. And so they technically heard the name of Jesus. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it says, you know, the word of that, like, it's just through his name that we're saved. And obviously, you know, there's a lot that goes into it of like, okay, do you understand the death, burial, resurrection? But there's like, you know, even it, Paul says in Romans, you know, um, even through creation, we can know that, you know, God exists. And so um, just even the fact that a place that may have even, it doesn't matter if, you know, the theology, if like that's enough for someone to be saved or not, because, you know, in the Middle East, people are getting saved just through dreams without anyone preaching to them. But just him shouting the name of Jesus over an unreached people group that have, you know, been bonded um, for so long by whatever strongholds there, like to, to yell the name of Jesus almost as a promise. You know, I, I believe it, whether what he did was, you know, the will of God or however you want to define it. Like he, like he highlighted a people group that people may have never heard of. <laughs> and yeah. um, through that, you know, that's people now are able to intercede on behalf of that people group or 
organizations are now able to assemble teams to go there. So I, I believe that he definitely, you know, plowed away um, to reach that people group. And I really believe like that people group is going to get reached. Um, and he really plowed away for that, even if all he did was go there and get killed. Um, but now what, I, if, I, now what if there, and I agree with you that it's a very honorable thing for that man to do. And that, uh, I, it gets me upset when people take such a, a strong stance against what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't think I don't think it makes sense to take such a strong stance against or for, because as an sure. outsider, we don't know all the information. We don't know all the preparation we did. We don't know yeah. everything about it. And so I think it's I think it would be silly to take a strong stance for or against. Um, but now what do you, like with with this example and just in general, what if a tribe and un- what if an unreached people group has shown just like this tribe that they don't want to be reached that they don't want to be contacted that they're very aggressive to towards people trying to contact them like where does where does 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 the reach end from mm-hmm. um for people trying to reach out if 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 the people they're trying to reach are consistently throughout history showing that they do not want to be contacted. How do you how do you manage that? How does a missionary yeah. manage that tension? Um, I mean that's still like obviously this is the one thing that I've learned a lot about missions and since I've studied it and um, all that stuff. I think for the past hundred of year hundred years. The way that you know the church has approached missions um, has been done very wrong. So even if you think of the Crusades, like the Crusades was technically a, it was a missions movement um, that went horribly wrong, but it was done you know in the name of Jesus, um, which you know wasn't right. But it was it was that was um, their concept of missions, um, which was essentially colonization, <laughs> colonial like. Essentially, yeah. the concept of missions is, you know, we're going to come here and pretty much bring our culture and make you become like us. And so essentially, um, a way that I heard it, which I think was really, really amazing, was, you know, we need to stop carrying the gospel like it's on a merchant ship. Um, we're coming and we're trying to, you know, sell it and we're trying to take goods, but we need to come bring the gospel like um, it's on an explorer ship. And um, essentially, you know, with reaching like people groups, you know, it, it's it's so hard to um, obviously like I haven't have had direct experience since it's just been what I've studied. Um, but there's even even when you look through scripture and you see Paul and his missionary journeys, there are times when he wanted to go to a place and the Holy Spirit stopped him and said, "You're not supposed to go there yet." Either direct moments in scripture mm-hmm. um, where the Holy Spirit stopped Paul from going to places. And so it really all goes down to, um, I think, first, like how much prayer goes into it. And I think that's one thing with um, this situation with a guy that was killed was like how much prayer went into like his missionary journey. Was it just, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to go preach the gospel because they don't know Jesus, which is great. But even through scripture, there were times when Paul was stopped by the Holy Spirit to yeah. go to places. Um, and so, I mean, that's the first thing too. It's like, okay, if there's a people group that literally, you know, want to kill people. First, how much, you know, prayer goes into it. 
Um, and also like, I think your support is a huge thing too, but obviously like, you know, there doesn't need to be this religious structure of how to reach people, you know, okay, you need yeah. to have 10 backers and, you know, a prayer team and all this stuff that you don't have to. Um, mm-hmm. But when there are those people groups who are like, okay, like I'm trying to reach this people groups, you know, that are cannibals, <laughs> like there's going to be a lot yeah. that goes into that. Um, and so there's, there's a tribe in um, the Amazon called the Yanomamo people. And um, these people were um, like essentially like savages, like they would like kill babies and like, like it is really crazy history um, and would like rape women and um, but it was just such, like they're pretty much their culture was revolved around like violence and it was such a normal thing um, and now they're like a rich people group um, and I went to like an intensive with like the guy that reached that people group and like it was pretty much a oh, week wow. intensive how to reach um, like tribal people groups. Mm-hmm. And just like the story of how he, like how they brought a team there, but there's so much that went into it. You know what I mean? Like there's training that they went through and they brought a whole team that a medical team, um, they like learned their culture. They learned their yeah. language before they ever uh-huh. tried to preach the gospel. Yeah. There was so much that led up to it. Um, but I think like with this situation, I think the biggest thing is obviously, you know, that's not an excuse like, oh, they're violent. I'm not going to tell them like, like about Jesus. Um, that's never an excuse because like we're called to suffer. Um, and so I think there is beauty too. If like, if, if the Lord tells us like, even, you know, when, when Jesus converted Paul, like it it says in scripture that he showed him what he's going to suffer for. (laughs) Um, and so like that was the primary call, you know, if we're going to follow Jesus is we're going to suffer. So even if that looks like us just yelling the name of Jesus to a people group and dying, Mm -hmm. um, but if that's. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> so it's not just like some, it's not just a, a, a blanket answer. You can't just say, there this isn't, is when yeah. you go, this is when you don't. Right. Uh, it's more of a uh, situational response. Yeah. Exactly. And, and it all leads up to like, you know, really hearing the voice of God and discerning the Holy Spirit for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, there's so much that goes into it, but at the same time, there, there doesn't, there shouldn't be like, all right, well, I got to go through these 50 years of training before I can tell someone about Jesus kind of thing. Because, yeah. you know, we're all equipped if we have the Holy Spirit and dwelling. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I think definitely in contexts like that where, like, we don't speak their language and yeah. um, we don't know their culture, there's still mm-hmm. so much that goes into it. But still, like, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be reached. Um, yeah. And even, you know, like, Nate Saint, like, the guy who was killed in the Amazon, like, there's, like... The, the stories of what led up, like even if you just even think about the missionaries in the past who literally moved their entire life to a whole nother culture that they couldn't speak their language. Like even just that like, like blows my mind, like going into a culture and you don't speak their language and no one actually speaks their language. It's not like you're going to like, you know, Mexico and like, oh, let me get into yeah. like, mm-hmm. Spanish. Everyone speaks Spanish. But like going into some people group that literally just talks and, you know, clicks or whatever, like, but they they moved in that culture, learned the language, learned the culture, and as that like it was became you know an explorer ship, not a merchant ship, and we were able to bring the gospel. So yeah, I think just like you described perfectly, there's not really like one straight answer to it. 
Um, but it really just comes down to like hearing the voice of God and really just being obedient to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And and so now as as a pastor and as a as a really good pastor and as a pastor who who really cares about people and, and takes the time to to love people in the way that they they deserve to be loved and need to be loved. Uh, and I've said this I've said this about you a few times behind your back that I think you are an incredibly secure person to be sure. able to 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 lead the church that you do in the way that you do, and yeah. especially uh, in the situation that you're in right now of just of being a student and still being young, but right. still leading a church and right. uh, what's the word. Uh, uh, when you duh, ah, when you give responsibilities to other people, um, and the way that you lead, I think is extremely secure, and especially because when you did it as at such a young age and have and putting yourself out there in such a vulnerable and everybody's eyes on you type of way, right. I think is amazing. Um, and so throughout the process of of starting your church and and then continuing to lead it were there any ever scary moments of of like oh shoot i don't i don't think this is going to work i don't want to do this i don't know what's going on um like was there any any times where you were about to pull the plug on it or anything like that at least like 50 <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i mean I think the interesting thing with like breakthrough and how it all started was I never wanted to start it. Um, yeah. It was never like this dream or something that was like, Hey, like you should do this. I was just following the Lord. And, um, you know, as my life was changed and transformed and as I encountered, you know, um, the resurrected Jesus, like everything changed for me to a point where it was so real that I couldn't like withhold it. And, um, from there I was like, okay, if, if this is the Jesus that like I thought I knew, um, then people must be thinking the same way and, um, are really like not fully receiving the fullness of what Jesus paid for. And so from there, you know, I was, it, it was never like this label it was never this label of doing ministry or, um, this is my ministry. It was just like, I was just following the Holy spirit and just loving people and bringing people to Jesus and bringing people into their inheritance. And then from there, you know, the Lord just started birthing a church, um, which I really love, like, the history of Breakthrough because it's it's so raw and authentic, and it's I feel like it's just how the Lord <laughs> would birth the church. Um, it's just, it was just Him meeting the one person, and from there it just grew. Um, but I remember... You know, even when Breakthrough started, I still, like, didn't see myself, like, fully doing ministry. So Breakthrough started um, as a prayer meeting, and then I grew to a, a community group, and then I grew to a house church, and then now it's a church. But I remember in the, like, um, community group stage, at that time, I was still studying physical therapy, and I, like, didn't have a clear future for ministry. I was just doing Breakthrough, you know, community group at that time just because, you know, I just, like, had a heavy you know, just like desire for Jesus and for people to see Jesus. Um, but then I went to Vegas and right before I went to Vegas, I called a ministry, went to Vegas. Um, I thought the Lord telling me to turn Breakthrough into a house church, came 
to Virginia. Breakthrough started meeting, started growing. I remember, and this was, I think, um, when you started coming is when we started meeting in the attic downtown. Um, and it just started growing. And um, at this time, even as it was growing, like, the whole time I never, like, saw it being anything else than what it was in front of me. And I was like, it's just a meeting. Like, we're just meeting Jesus. <laughs> um, like, there was no desire for it to be an organized thing. Um, and I remember we, we, when we started meeting the attic and it started to grow and it reached like 65 people at one point, I started freaking out and I was like, what's happening? Like, I, like, I don't want it to grow. Like, I, <laughs> cause uh, at the time it was like me and I don't even know who was leading at the time, but me and like a couple other people and it was growing so much. And I literally, it, I came to a point where I started praying and asking God to shrink breakthrough. I was like, God, like, I don't want this responsibility. Like, I'm not equipped enough. Like, this is a lot of work. There's a lot of responsibility. Um, and it's just growing way too quick. And I don't know what to do with it. And um, I was literally praying, like, God, like, please, like, shrink us and keep us the same size for a while. And I kept growing, and the Lord had to rebuke me. I was like, Andrew, don't pray against something that I'm growing. And don't pray against something that I'm breathing on. And from that place, like, I had to release it to the Lord and realize, you know, it's, I, I, I really had to get humbled and get to a place of God, like, this, this isn't my church. Like, this is, this is your church. And so if you want to make it a mega church, you can do it. If you want to make it by people, if whatever you want, it's not my church, it's your church. I'm going to be obedient no matter what. And I had to get into that place um, of really, really releasing control and really, Essentially, it was just a fear of the future, I guess, like releasing that fear of the future of, you know, what if it grows and, you know, I don't really know what to do. I don't even have that many leaders around me that are even good enough to lead at that capacity. <laughs> like at that time, literally none of us have done ministry prior and we're leading like 75 people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, that was definitely a huge one. It's just, and, and obviously like throughout after that, there would just be moments where I was just trying to juggle life. And because obviously it's not like I'm getting paid yet. Um, and so I'm even this um, past semester, I was working two jobs, um, preparing for a wedding, doing breakthrough and finishing my last semester. So it was a lot of things. And um, so I know, I mean, I definitely reached moments where it was like, okay, like, I wasn't really taking care of my soul and I wasn't really, you know, resting well. And so I'll get to these places where I'm like, God, I can't do this. Like, mm -hmm. There's no way I can lead breakthrough it. or, you know, a problem would come up and, you know, there's always problems when you're leading young adults, <laughs> like there's always going to be yeah. drama and situations happening um, that are a lot of the times way above our pay grade. Um, but I think like even back to the whole, you know, Paul thing, it's like if we're, committing ourselves to follow Jesus, we're committing ourselves to suffer um, as, you know, untrendy as that sounds. Um, like, that's the, like, I guess the beautiful thing is when we tap into, you know, that place in our hearts where Jesus, like, it doesn't matter, like, how hard or how unequipped or how confusing, um, like, I'm going to suffer with you. Um, and it's really getting in that place. And so I really had to, like, I think, I, I think even the whole process of breakthrough, like the Lord had to humble me a lot. And which is funny because, I mean, I wasn't like, like it was almost like this false humility, I guess, that the Lord had to humble me from. 
of feeling oh. like there's no way, no way I can do this, which is essentially false humility, yeah. um, which is pride. <laughs> um, oh. And so and how did I get to this place of like, you know, I wasn't really trusting the Lord and really trusting what he can do through me. And through limiting myself, I'm actually limiting God because I'm limiting what he can do through me, um, which is prideful. And so, yeah, I think that was definitely a big one is really learning that through the, that process. That's, uh, and it's cool because I'll, I'm, a lot of the people who, I think the majority of the people who listen to this podcast uh, are not Christians. And so it's really cool to mm-hmm. have you on this to, uh, <laughs> to, to say what it's like being a pastor uh and so what, what what was some of the what is what is one of your favorite moments of being a pastor so far oh man um let me think it's a couple um and it's cool that through those scary moments you were able to continue doing breakthrough the church because right. so many people including myself uh are so much better for it and mm. and so so many people have been have been blessed and so many people have learned so much from you and the ministry um and I, I really like what you just said about suffering and because mm-hmm. suffering is is important like we're not supposed to be happy all the time because if we're if one if we were happy all the time, then there we wouldn't actually know it was happiness. Because uh, if there was no opposite of happy, we wouldn't know happy was happy. Um, and suffering is important. Like that's where we learn stuff. We grow so much through adversity and through things being difficult and through when we don't want to do things, going and and doing them. And that's when we become better people. Uh, yeah. so I liked how you, how you said that about suffering. And I think it's, uh, regardless of, even if it's like, that's true. And I, and this is what I think is so cool about religion is that, or, or I wouldn't say it's cool about religion, but cool about truth is that if something yeah. is true, it's true. And so regardless that it's a Christian principle, that a portion of life is suffering, it's it's true for everybody else too. Um, just even if people aren't Christians, it's true for them too, regardless of what they think that a portion of your life is, is going to be suffering and that suffering right. is going to be a good thing and you're going to learn from it. And, and it's a part of life that is unavoidable. And even, and if you try to avoid the suffering, you're going to be worse for it. And so I think it's cool how what's true is true regardless of your religious affiliation or your beliefs, um, because there's just inherent truths out there that we can't avoid. And if we try to avoid them, our life is worse when we do. Uh, and so I think, and I think a lot of people mix that up and about, especially about suffering because people try their hardest, including myself to avoid suffering. Um, and just stay in places that are comfortable just and and we think that if something is bad or if something is hard or if we're facing adversity we oftentimes think that we're in we're doing something wrong that we're in a bad place that we need to get out of that um as fast as possible but really 
when that suffering is happening, when that adversity is going down, that's that's the place where we're going to learn the most. And that's the place where we're going to grow. And so if we try to run away from that place and get out of it as soon as we can, we're not going to learn mm. the lessons that we need to learn. Um, and right. so, and I think, so I think that's cool that it's a, it's an aspect that's inherent to Christianity that we're called to accept the suffering. Yeah. That's really good. Hmm. So favorite moment, favorite moment as a pastor. And okay. and then I want to know your least favorite moment. Mm, gotta love those. Um, <laughs> favorite moment. I'll just say a good, like a generality while I try to think of a specific. Um, but I guess like, just like seeing the transformation in people's life. Um, I think like that's, I feel like my life call in ministry is transformation um, because I feel like doing ministry outside of transformation, it's kind of pointless. If, you know, we're ministering to people and it doesn't lead to freedom or heart change, then it's just kind of modifying people um, and it doesn't really do anything. So I think like my favorite moments are, you know, when we're meeting and, and, um, we're, we're meeting and we're discipling people and we're loving people and we're, you know, fostering environments where people can encounter Jesus in a real way and they leave and they're changed by it. But that change, you know, continues to grow. And I start, you know, for example, it's like people at Breakthrough that I've known that, you know, they've came to Breakthrough pretty much borderline giving up on God um, or borderline not really sure what they believe. And then through that and I'm, genuinely encountering Jesus from himself and encountering the Holy Spirit in a way that I can't really like, here you go, like, hey, speak in tongues, try it out. Like, you can't like just make that happen when people like genuinely encounter God, encounter the Holy Spirit and, you know, supernatural stuff like that just manifest. Like, this, this genuine transformation thing starts to happen where it's like, there's literally no way that I could have done this. <laughs> like, it's just, yeah. it's, it's genuinely the Lord like just moving in someone's life. But seeing that continuation of transformation start to happen where, even seeing like their mindset change, like the way that they live their life. And through that, seeing them starting to pour into other people. And it's just like, well, like this whole person's life, like completely different. Um, like even thinking of like, you know, like Angel Sanchez and, and them, like yeah. just from the beginning of like when I first met them, like Angel, like the, the, the week before I met him, I remember like he literally, we went camping at like a little guy's camping thing for breakthrough. I mean, like five people came. Um, but he showed up, and that was the first time I met him. Isaac Sanchez, his brother, invited him. And he literally came to his camping trip, and, like, a week before, was, like, about to, like, essentially give up on God. And I remember we did, like, I was super swirly back then, but we did, like, inner healing meetings at this camping <laughs> trip. Like, I don't know if you guys ever done Sozo before. And we just, like, I remember we would just, like, pray over each other and essentially just practice hearing God's voice. And I remember just that, that um, trip like completely changed everything for him. And now like, you know, he's really walking in the Lord and it's just crazy seeing like the fruit that has followed that. So I think that's my favorite thing is really seeing like, like the hearts being changed. And I mean, I think why it's my favorite thing is because it's not that, like it's not that it's hard, but it's like when you're leading so many people to really like walk with people mm -hmm. through that process and really seeing the change um, because that's my desire, honestly, for everyone that comes to breakthrough is like to like honestly experience like breakthrough in their life and see freedom, um, 
essentially like when they come in because the, the interesting thing about our city is it's very transient and people because of you know the college locally here to liberty um people come here and they're here for like around four years and they leave and so when people come to breakthrough and they experience you know this community and they experience jesus um essentially unfiltered um it really it really sets it really like sets them on fire and really transforms them so whenever they leave they're sent out burning and so um yeah um that was a very broad one but that's definitely no, i think my no. yeah and it's it's so true like everything that you're just saying and and about how uh, you how it's your favorite thing and how people really do get transformed when they they come to when they go to breakthrough and and a lot of and I want the people listening to this to know that what everything that Andrew is saying right now is not just like pretty little talk it's not just lip service uh like Andrew is a guy who really cares about people and really loves people and has a great heart about it and doesn't uh, and because a lot of and Christians and a lot of pastors they get a bad rap for being selfish or ingenuine or judgmental. Um, and, and Andrew, you are not like that at all. Um, and so it's really cool that, uh, people are getting transformed when they, when they come to, uh, break through your church and, and it's, and it's very true. Everything that you just said about, uh, how that happens and, and, and the heart that you have associated with it and how, just of a just in regardless of everything else, that how good of a guy you are, and mm. and so it, it's it's really cool that that you have the the position that you did, and I'm very thankful that that you you stepped out and you took the risks and you did the the scary stuff and you put yourself out there uh, yeah. to make the ministry what it was. And so like today, when I read my like during these now today when I read my Bible and I get to to, to points where, uh, you know, in the beginning of many books in the New Testament, whenever whoever the author is, uh, a lot of the New Testament books are letters, and the, whoever is writing the letter will say, every time I think of you, I thank, or I thank God for you always, for your, right, yeah. uh, your grace, or what you've done, or your, your persistence, whatever it is, blah, blah, blah. Like, I thank God for you always. Whenever I read portions of the Bible like that, I think of you, and I think of Sarah Beth. Every single time mm-hmm. I, read, I read portions of the Bible like that. Uh, and so I so, thank God for the both of you guys all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. So you guys, you guys are awesome. Um, so that's a favorite thing about, uh, being a pastor. I want to hear something juicy. I want to hear some juice, (laughs) some medium rare juice. Um, (laughs) not something juicy, but something like something real, something real deal that cut, that would suck. Okay. Um, hmm. trying to think which one. I think, like, especially starting out, um, it's very hard to, because there's really not much accountability, you know, in the sense of, you know, having eldership and older people and um, just that when, like, just, like, imagine, like, leading a church where everyone's the same age. Like, it's, like, like, it's just very different, you know what I mean? Like, imagine even just going to a church 
where like your pastor's four years old and everyone is 40. Like, it's just like, it's weird. Um, weird yeah. So like when we started, you know, you being at that time was like 20 um, or like 19 or 20, whatever, like everyone was pretty much the same age. And so it was very, very, you know, like you're, especially like my heart for breakthrough was like, I want to reach like the marginalized, the, the spiritually homeless, you know, like however I wanted to word it, but essentially people who are unchurched, haven't been to church in a while, I've been hurt by the church and really just bring genuine, authentic community and pretty much foster a place where people can encounter the presence of God in a real way. Um, and so, you know, with that, you're going to get all types of people. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, with, with the hard thing at that time was, you know, I was single and um, I was just like loving everybody. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so then we're like, you know, I was just very loving. And, um, but there'd be moments where, you know, there'd be girls that would take it the wrong way and think that like, oh my gosh, like they love me. <laughs> there'd be moments where, like, there are situations where like girls would genuinely think that, um, you know, that I like them or something like that. Because I was just intentional and would like pray yeah, over them. Yeah. And that's something even now, like I've, I've had to learn because it's like, you know, as we've grown now, like, we, we won't really have, like, leaders on, like, breakthrough now, like, you can't really, you know, have a one-on-one with the opposite gender by yourself just because mm-hmm. of accountability. Yeah, um, yeah. Having to walk through stuff like that where it's like, no, that's not what I was going whatsoever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so it's like, with that time, it's so hard because there's no distinction. Like there, even, even with the roles, you know, it's not like, even how breakthrough is set up, it's very like we're all on the same playing field. You know, it's in a circle. There's no, you know, hierarchy. Um, and so, like, even as you're leading the church, there isn't this, there isn't a crazy distinction of like, I am your leader, you know what I mean, kind of thing, which like, it shouldn't be like that. I don't think it was ever intended to be like that. Um, but just like being like 20 and everybody else is like around 22, around 20 as well. Um, this that distinction gets so foggy, um, and you're just genuinely loving someone, and you know they think you're hitting on them, which is not happening. So those are the good times, I guess the bad times. But we're kind of it's easier now since like I'm getting married, and so it's uh, kind of like it's very clear hitting on someone. Yeah, uh, but you know it's gotta gotta go through that kind of stuff, I guess. What uh? What have you What have you learned about people from being a pastor? What I've learned about people and is like interacting people, with so many people yeah, all the time. People are so extremely layered. Um, okay. And one thing, like I think, like we we view people um, as if they're not complex beings, huh. uh, meaning like. Even even with the process of healing, I think, like, when we see people who hurt, like, the more people have experienced pain, the more layers um, are created. So there's more layers of who they are, more layers of um, the way they think, the way they act, their behaviors, um, their experiences, their history. And so every single person, why no person is the same is because every person has so many different layers. 
that make up who they are. And so like, um, I don't remember the exact quote who said it, but there's a quote essentially talking about healing and thinking about like, you know, how, how can we think a, a person, how, how can we think healing can be instant when we are so complex, magnificent, God created us as so complex, magnificent beings. So why shouldn't healing take time? Um, and so essentially with that, I have learned like even interacting with people because with Breakthrough, like, bro, we've gotten the weirdest people. <laughs> like, like we've gotten the weirdest people, the wounded, most wounded people, the all types of people. Um, and so just through that, like even interacting with people and understanding, you know, let's say if you're with someone and like, okay, you're trying to minister, right? And um, you see everybody is just passionately worshiping and there's, you know, that one person that just like, is just with their arms crossed and it's just sitting down. Mm-hmm. And then there's just, there's some kind of layer, there's something happening, um, which there's no like distinction of, you know, if you're not passionately worshiping, there's something wrong with you, that's what I'm trying to say. But we're like, you know, you can just know, like you would talk to them afterwards and they're like, you know, I can't, like, it's hard for me to worship because I feel like God is like angry at me and disappointed at me because I sinned. And there's just like, okay, there's layers. There's so much depth of who people are. And so I think even like, even with racism and and, um, prejudice and microaggressions, like things that like affect the way we view other people. um, It's so crazy because there's so much depth to the people. And so, like, it's, it's once we really understand that reality, it's almost impossible to judge people. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And I remember how this, I, I remember this process kind of started was when um, I was a freshman and I was doing um, exercise science as my major. And literally my first semester, and I don't, I, don't, I don't even know if this was legal, but my first semester they brought, like, us students into cadaver lab. And um, oh, oh. we're freshmen, like, we literally... Like, it wasn't even at the end of the year. It was, like, the middle of the year. <laughs> like, we barely even learned anything. And they took us into a cadaver lab to see, like, dead people organs. Like, it's literally just a dead person's on the, like, hospital bed. And, like, they're literally, like, opened up in the middle. Their skin is open. And you see all of, like, the tendons and their muscles and their organs. And even this, I was just looking at that and I was, like, like, I, like everybody was, like, freaked out and grossed up. But I was just, like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Like, this is like, like, you see like how God designed us. Like, there's so much going on. There's, even physically, like, there's so much stuff um, that went into place to making humans. Like, there's so many things functioning. There's so many things going on. There's so many things taking place. Um, And just the complexity of how we're designed, even just physically. Um, Not even getting to, you know, the brain and how that works but even just physically it's so complex I remember like I left and I was just walking on campus and I was looking at people and I was like oh my gosh look at all like, I was like this visioning just this cadaver and just like the complexity of it and I remember that kind of started this journey of like oh my gosh humans are like there's so much complexity like there's so much beauty and value to that um and really seeing like like there's so so much intricacies that are happening and how God created humanity and created human beings. Um, and so I think even just that in the realm of ministry and, you know, when people get hurt or when people hurt us or, you know, when you see someone not performing the way you'd want to perform or you're trying to minister and they're just not receiving it, 
it's like really understanding it's like you know there's so much that goes into it there's so much that goes into why someone thinks the way they think there's so much pain or things from their past that affects you know how they react in the present and so um I don't know I think especially in ministry like which I think a lot of people get wrong. Um, I, at first, like I, I believe the point of you know the church and ministry is we're, we're called to minister to the Lord, um, which is a whole another podcast. Um, but obviously, the main thing is we're called you know to minister to people, and I feel like a lot of the churches forgot the the fact that the church is for people because without people there wouldn't be a church. <laughs> um, because technically, one person by himself isn't you know I get you know the the whole concept, like we are the church, but like we're not meeting as a church, like just one person sitting at a table. Yeah. And so like, the church is, is made up of people. And um, so really saying it's like, you know, if we're reaching people and we're the call, you know, as believers, and if we're even going to step into, you know, organizational ministry, because we're all at one way doing ministry as Christians, but organizational ministry and church ministry, like we have to understand, like we're called to the people, and if we're called to love people, we have to understand that people aren't black and white. Yeah, um, yeah. The people aren't, you know, just two layers. There's so much going on, and so that's why for me, when I did interdisciplinary, why I did, you know, global studies. Obviously, I want to do missions of global studies, just so I have more understanding of the word and psychology. Um, was so many pastors don't understand, um, and you don't even know like everything, but like have like at least a basic understanding of psychology. And so I even remember like how I grew up, like when like depression, right? Growing up, um, especially in the church, depression was like a taboo. Like if someone had depression, like it was easily like you just dismiss it. Like oh, like you have mental illness, like you just dismiss it. Like that's like there's no such thing as mental illness. <laughs> it's, it's it's either demonic or you're just like sad, like don't overthink it. But there's so much like there's so much psychology that's going in play into why someone's feeling depressed. And so even as pastors, like understanding psychology of how humans think and how people interact is so important if we're to properly reach people um, so that we're not just, you know, dismissing people because of their problems, but understanding like, okay, wait, like let's stop. There's, there's roots, like there's complexities. And I think even understanding that is what allows us as you know, cares of the gospel to really usher people into freedom is understanding the roots that first caused them bondage and inviting the Lord into those roots and um, healing from those places. Um, and so I think that's the biggest thing in ministry that I, I've learned is like, just like, like, I mean, I think like to understand the value of people, you have to understand the complexity of it. Um, so. And now, and now you're, you're, you're not saying that, uh, that when people have mental illnesses, I, I think I misunderstood you. You're not saying that it's just people are sad or it's demonic. No, 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 no. That's no, no, not no, what I'm you're saying, saying, right? I'm saying how okay. I grew up. Um, just like the, the aspect of psychology within the church, like it was very dismissed. Like if someone it, had, yeah. was struggling mentally or was depressed or had anxiety, it was very dismissed because no one really yeah. had a gauge of, okay, what, what takes place in the causing someone depression. Mm -hmm. So as the church, even pastors, I think it's so crucial for at least to have some basic understanding of psychology if we're to interact with people. Um, yeah. Because I, I know for me, like when I struggled with depression growing up, I like there's no gauge for it growing up. Like no one talked about it. Uh, like uh, I didn't even think it was real because it was very dismissed. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people that 
that you really that you learned how people are so complex and that there's so many layers to people um and because it's so it's so easy for us to like we naturally want to compartmentalize people and we automatically mm-hmm. want to think okay this person is this she's like that he's like that he's that's who he is that's who she is bang clean cut but it's not like that um right and I'm, I'm learning that that same thing too that there's that everybody is so complex is the best word but and i think about myself like i'm so not just one way like there's so For sure. m- many different even like personalities that i have there's so many different things that i think and it's just when i think about it and if i think that i'm like that that means that other people are like that too and so it's i have to make conscious decisions every day when i meet people to realize that that first meeting that i had with somebody not to judge them based on that one time that i met them and not completely try to uh fit them in a little box and or if somebody was even even if somebody was i'm learning this now big time like if somebody was being a jerk to me or something like that to realize that they're probably not just a jerk like this there was probably something that was going on in their life even if it was just something in that was it that just happened that day that caused them to be a jerk um or they're in a tough point in their lives or they've something has went terribly wrong in their lives and so they're acting out towards other people that's what i'm learning big time right now that uh, not to even if, even when people are jerks and not nice, to not totally write them off and to realize that mm-hmm. there, there's something under that. There's something that's exactly. causing that. Because um, people don't want to naturally be jerks to people. It doesn't make sense. Just right. it doesn't even make it doesn't make sense on any level to be a, a jerk to somebody. Uh, and so. Yeah, there's a lot of complexities to it, and I'm, and it's really cool that that you learn that as a as a pastor, and because you, you got to see, because every day you get to see the complexities of people and see how, because uh, people are very intimate and vulnerable in church settings like that, and so you get to really get to know people really well, and that's yeah. that's what I that's that's what I'm really grateful for the with the Christian community or any really religious community in that. People get to know each other uh, deeply and relationships that you have or relationships that I have with with Christian people are oftentimes much deeper than relationships that I have with non-Christian people uh, because there's just something inherent about that that opens the door to be intimate with somebody and to be genuine and to be to go below the surface. and now I'm not going to say that uh, I'm not saying that all the relationships that I have with everybody who's not a Christian, those are just shallow relationships, because that's not true at all. Some of my deepest relationships are with non-Christian people, and I'm extremely grateful for those relationships, and I love those people so freaking gosh darn much. Uh, but I think Christianity and being in communities like that breeds deeper relationships, and you really right. get to know people in that way. Um, for sure. I got. I have a. So I have a. I have two surprise questions for you, Andrew. 
All right, surprise me. One question. First question, not that big of a surprise. Probably really easy to answer. Uh, but I asked these two questions to every single guest, and uh, they're both extremely important questions. The first question. Okay. What is your favorite song right now? Rick. Um, okay, favorite song as of right now. Right now. So favorite song, song that you're listening to the most. Favorite song as of yesterday. Um, so it's a song called Ain't No Grave. Um, by Johnny Cash? It's, it's a different different one. So it's <laughs> by um, Brewer Gunner Jansen. Super okay. weird. It's, it sounds like um, if you were to mix like um, Jack White with like, what's, what's that band called? Black Keys, yeah. If you're to mix like Black, the Black Keys and Jack White, but it's Ain't No Grave, and so um, what's the guy's name again? Brar Gunner Jansen. It's B O B R O R G U N N A R J A N S S O N. Super weird name. Um, but yeah, it's Ain't No Grave. But the song, um, like, do you know the history of Ain't No Grave? Uh, nope. Mm -mm. I just know the Johnny Cash song. That's it. <laughs> so, um, so, so someone recently, like, you know, the Helsers, they're like from Bethel, um, worship. I mean, through them, they have like a collective called Cageless Birds. And they, oh, that's released, okay. yeah, they released a song called Ain't No Grave, um, that one other people like rewrote, um, but they like kept the same chorus. Um, but I found this, I, that's how I first heard about the song. I didn't realize Johnny Cash did it. Um, but, um, so I just found this different version that I really like cause it's like, sounds like the black keys, but anyway, so the history of, of Ain't No Grave is, um, I forgot what time period, um, forgot what time period, but it was a long, long time ago. Essentially there's a kid who had like, um, tuberculosis when it was on his deathbed, he was 12 years old and he was literally about to die. And so he pulls out a guitar and starts singing this song, Ain't No Grave Gonna Hold My Body Down. And um, ends up, like, I think dying. And, like, oh. gets, like, resurrected from the dead. Like, something crazy, what? like, a crazy story. And, like, encountered, like, an angel. Um, and then end up writing this song, like, Ain't No Grave Gonna Hold My Body Down. Um, and it ended up becoming, like, an anthem throughout, like, Appalachian gospel choirs. And yeah. this was... Um, a song, and so Johnny Cash and I'm later singing it. Anyway, so that was like the history of it, and I'm like, hear the history of it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like just that line is so powerful. Like just even like, ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. Um, anyways, yeah, it's just like just the, the the history to it, and just like yeah, so that's what I'm listening to right now. But yeah, yeah that's guys, really cool. That's I never eight. knew the history of that. That's a cool yeah, that's a cool story. When do you know when that happened? Um, I looked it up yesterday. Um, 1800s, 1900s. It was 19, 1900s. Yeah, so not like crazy long ago. Um, but it was written by a kid called Claude Eli. Um, he ended up Claude Eli. Yeah. So Claude Eli died, and then came back to life. Supposedly, that's what I heard. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> that's incredible. 
And wrote this song called Ain't No Graves. I hope his I hope his family is getting royalties for all these I hope people. So too. Yeah. Using using the song. <laughs> you know, right? All the fifty artists. Yeah. It's so funny. Uh next surprise question. And this is the one where people get put on the spot. Uh I wanna know what your favorite thing about life is. Ooh, favorite thing in my life. Food. Um, my favorite thing food. Um, I just believe that um, food is proof of the goodness of God because we didn't have to have food. You know what I mean? Like that's like that's something like God intricately created us to have taste buds and to be hungry. And like just like think about it. Like, there's so much stuff that goes into like eating. Like you have to have hunger, like really enjoy it. You have to have all these different taste buds and palates on your tongue to taste it and all the different spices that come from all over like there's so much that goes into it um so my favorite thing is like discuss like i i'm the type of person where like i literally will try anything like i love exotic things i love like new things and so like every, every time wherever i go i love like trying new things and so you know how like some people were like you know when they know they like something they get the same thing all the time I'm the type of person where I want to try, like, everything on the menu. Even if it doesn't sound good, I just, like, want to try it. Um, and so even when I travel, like, that's my favorite thing is, like, if I'm traveling in the U.S., um, like, I love trying local joints. I love, like, local food um, because it's unique, you know what I mean? Like, you, it's different yeah. than chain food. And I also love when, it, like, traveling overseas, like, just trying the different food. This food is so, you know, it's so unique. The, the culture is, it's just such a unique thing that um, a culture can be represented through its food, um, which I don't even know how that works out, but it does. And so, it does. I don't know. I just like food. Dude, that's a great answer. I freaking, I love that. I love that. That's awesome. I think that's a great answer because it's <laughs> one of my favorite, it's one of my favorite things about life for sure. And because we sure. do it, we do it so often. And most of we our lives, so often. basically, our lives almost revolve around food. Exactly. A portion of our lives revolve around putting food into our face. That is true. I love that. That's a great answer. Um, <laughs> and so before we go, is there anything? Uh, how can people get to know you more? Is there any place, any website, any Instagram uh, that you want people to go check out? Sure. Um, you can learn more about Breakthrough, follow us, what the Lord's doing. Literally, website is www.breakthrough.church. That's our website. Um, and then Instagram is at breakthrough.church. We post like messages every now and then. Um, and you can even just watch. Sometimes we have like live streams of what's going on. So you're going to see, you know, what our community looks like. You know, it's very different. Um, we can catch up, and if you want to see my designs or get a tattoo for me or yeah. just see my work, um, you can just follow me on Instagram at saint.lennon. Awesome. I got it. Sweet. Yeah. So everybody go because his stuff is awesome from his designs, from the church. Everything that he does is very good. So people... If you're interested, definitely go check it out. Check out Ain't No Grave by Brower Gunner Jensen. I'm sure it's a fantastic <laughs> song. 
And everybody, make sure to go eat 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 some good food because it's delicious. Try something new. Yeah, try something new. Do that. Go eat some uh, some cow tongue or some uh, right. or some yeah. what's what's something exotic that these people should go eat. They should they should eat um um uh frog. <laughs> Frogs, yes. <laughs> go, eat, go eat some beef tongue and follow it up with some frogs. Yeah, that's what right. Andrew, this was great. I loved it. Good Thank times. you for coming on the show, man. I appreciate Anytime. it a lot. Love you, man. All right, I love you too. Talk to you soon. Bang out. And there's a podcast. I hope you liked it, my beloveds. Until next time.